Welcome to False Bottom Girls, a podcast about the wonderful yet sometimes confusing world of beer and brewing. Hi, I'm Rachel Hudson, owner of Pilot Brewing and an Advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair, sensory expert, home brewer, and Advanced Cicerone. Welcome everyone to this episode of False Bottom Girls. I'm Jen and that's Rachel. And today we have a very special guest to talk to us about exogenous enzymes. Uh, and that is Emily Wong. Uh, so Rachel and I read um, it, this really great article that Emily wrote a few months ago, and I immediately sent it to Rachel and said, we need to have Emily on the podcast uh, to yes. talk exogenous enzymes with us. Um, so Emily, um, give us an intro, um, tell our listeners who you are and a little bit about what you do. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, for having me on here, Jen and Rachel. Um, so uh, my name is Emily Wong, and I am the founder and owner and TTB certified chemist, um, uh, firmly a small third-party lab located in Denver, Colorado. Uh, so what we do is we help breweries dial in their quality, and we do that in a couple of different ways. Uh, part of that is by providing lab services. But then we also offer that, we put all the lab services out there in a data platform, which makes it easier to have that data actionable rather than just sitting in your email and not really going anywhere. It's, they're numbers, they're meant to be used. It's when you get <laughs> yeah. results from your doctor, you're going to act on them. If they <laughs> sit there and they say, oh, your cholesterol's a little bit high, you're going to figure out how to solve that problem. Right. And we try yeah. and help people do the same um, for their breweries. And then we do a lot of consulting and help people dial in processes and help with people personnel. So yeah, it's a, it's definitely a fun time, not boring, get to have a lot of interesting questions. So that really inspired me to write a lot about more of these, uh, technical topics. Cause I would get brewers asking me questions and, I went out there and I'm like, why can't I find something that just specifically answers what's yeah. going on? <laughs> right. Yes. Right. I've, yeah. Especially as you're learning as a brewer, I have found that to be like, I remember just trying to be like, okay, I need to understand chemistry of brewing. So I just like, okay, let's just start with chemistry. What a what? And I was like, <laughs> I can't do this. <laughs> and it's exactly <laughs> like when I read your article, I was like, this, this, this right here, more of, I need more things that break it down for me as a brewer. And it's perfect. So I really appreciate that. Um, so one thing that Rachel and I have talked about before is um, escarpment labs does, you know, like really, really great webinars on YouTube and one thing they say is like all of brewing science is based on like old English translations of German texts and some guy's PhD thesis from the 70s. And so <laughs> when you're trying to learn about this stuff, it is all written like that and you're reading and everybody cites everybody else. And so yeah, it's like so difficult so to find somebody saying it in a different way. And the way that you are, the, the way that you're writing is, um, you just do such a great job of explaining very technical topics in this is what you need to know. And this is what it means. And not like, it's like just very, um, that's what it's, that's what it's like. Oh my right. God. That's so <laughs> we will be share, sure to share this article on, uh, you know, a leak when we post these episodes on social media or something like that. So yeah, yeah, for access. sure. And one of the things that you mentioned, um, Emily, is you are a TTB chemist. And I know I was reading about that on your website today, but for our listeners, can you explain what a TTB chemist is? All right. So uh, thank you for asking, because some people, they, they like to act like they know, and uh, they don't. Um, <laughs> I don't. And I think that's part of the issue. Well, that's part of the issue sometimes in the brewing community is that we're afraid to ask questions exactly. about what does this actually mean because they want we don't want to seem unintelligent yeah and especially as a woman in this industry if you ask a question it might be taken the very wrong way as oh well then I have to explain everything to you right. um so um to become a TTB certified chemist I had to firstly prove that I had the education uh to be able to understand 
what I am doing in the lab. And for some people that might be getting a fermentation science degree, um, I already had a degree in biology with a minor in chemistry. So I already had all the chemistry credits that are necessary if you're not getting a fermentation science degree. It's funny because uh, I had people come up to me after starting firmly and compliment my partner and be like, wow, it's so nice of her to get all that education so that you two could do this together. <laughs> and I'm, I'm just standing there going, yes, yes. Um, over a decade ago, I was in college and I was just like, how can I be more useful to my future husband <laughs> with my right. education? Yes. Yes. Right. That's, that's, that's what we, uh, that's what we created college for. It's basically right. finishing school. Right. Um, you were just designed to be an asset for uh, your partner, which right. it was just kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, um, that's not how things work, but okay. Right. Oh, wow. Um, that's, that's a whole oh. new one. I, I, you know, I don't know why I still get surprised sometimes. But, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes. uh, so I have to prove my education and then they send you beers and it's usually macro beers and you test the beers and then you send those results to the TTB. Yeah. Now you would think that there would be a right or wrong answer. And the truth is they take everyone that is testing and then they take all of that data. And if you are outside of the range of where you should be based off of everybody else's results, then that's how you pass or fail. So oh, that's really interesting. That seems yeah, because like so, doesn't seem right. It, but yeah. it makes sense though because you know each batch is going to be slightly different when it yeah. comes to a beer, and there's no way to completely standardize what you are going to expect a beer to be from batch to batch. Even with macros, they can have tiny differences, and that's what they're looking for: is to see whether or not you are able to use your equipment and find those differences. And I, are you getting the same difference that everybody else is? Yeah. And, and is there like a, I no, I hear you about making sense, but I guess, is there like a, Oh, well this sample's contaminated. Like we can't use this, like this person messed up. So they don't get included. In it. Cause that's what I would kind of worry about is people not doing a good job. Cause if they're using everybody's, but I guess it's maybe everyone mm -hmm. who's certified. I, I don't know. Yeah. So this is how you get your certification is yeah. by testing these beers and they don't just send you one bottle and call it good. They send you three and uh, it depends on how absurd you might be uh, in terms <laughs> of checking things. Personally, I test every single bottle yeah. in triplicate <laughs> because yeah. I don't want to, if, if the bottle's really, really wrong and the data is not lining up, I want to know. Yeah. Right. That makes I sense. Want to, that yeah. Makes sense. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, it pays to, well, you get approved based off of how anal retentive you are. Sure. 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 Right. Sure. I like that. That's yeah. That's cool. Well, that's, well, that's yeah, really it's, cool. Yeah. It's nice to kind of be rewarded for caring by actually getting something that not everybody can get. Um, yeah, I know plenty of people in this industry that are in the QAQC world and they cannot get this kind of certification because they don't have the education. Mm -hmm. It's not that they don't have the equipment, but it, a part of it is to be a TPB certified chemist, you're being certified so that beer can be exported or sent to different states. So they really do care about it. They're not terribly good at following up on, okay, is are the ABVs okay uh, for this particular brewery? But at the but they we still need to have these this particular skill set and it available. And frankly, with how the pandemic shifted so many people to packaging, yeah, and we're, you, we're, you know we're here. yeah, <laughs> you know you, you don't get that conversation across the bar anymore. So yeah. quality became more of a necessity rather than a luxury. Mm -hmm. So, cause if a beer explodes or doesn't taste right, when a consumer gets it, they're not going to tell you. Yes. Correct. They're, they're just going to not buy your beer again. Yep. Right. And, and that's where we kind of have that like 
problem with how do we continue to have great beer all of the time? How do we make the best use of our ingredients to keep those customers coming back? And that really led me into this entire thing about enzymes because I was learning a lot about malt in the um, MBAA malting and brewing science course because I was like, malt is an area that I don't know very well. How can I fix that? I'm going to go get more education because education is something that will outlast everything that happens in your life as unless you're getting it for uh, the benefit of your husband, in which case, you know, (laughs) in which case it benefits him for the rest of his life. Yeah. It better pay you a lot too. (laughs) So you don't have to, to have a QA company. You don't have to be TTB certified. You don't, but, but it's, but it's better. It's, oh, it's definitely like it would, as a brewer, I would 100% pick now that I know that what that is, I, you could, I could have looked up your, like anyone's website and see that or not see that and would have no clue. And I don't even know if I would have like even thought to think about it because I would be like, oh yeah, I'm GTB certified too. Enjoy the club. <laughs> like I never <laughs> would have thought to even think what that is. So that's really great to know that. I would absolutely 100% pick a company that would have TTB certified over one that did not uh, now that I know mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. Well, and I think I know one of the things that you had said about it too, Emily, that I, I understood it when I read it, but now hearing you talk, I, I, I have more of an understanding of the magnitude of it is that a, an individual gets the TTB chemist certification, not a lab. Yes. And that's, that's yes. super yes. important. That's the difference. Yeah. That's really and cool. That's something, and that's something that also I find interesting is that there are people that have the capacity to become TTB certified that work at a brewery, but they are choosing not to get it. And the question is, why are you choosing not to get it? Or is it because your employer won't support you? Because at that point you become extremely valuable. Mm-hmm. Huh. And the problem is, is that frankly, after working since I was 15, the thing I know the best is every company wants every person to be replaceable. And if that person who is in your QAQC lab gets certification and then they decide to leave and take their certification with them, you have a new problem and that you might not necessarily want to have. So it's, it's fascinating when thinking about kind of the politics of wow, you might be actually trying to keep people from progressing in their career in some ways. I don't want to forget Rachel's question about the interesting questions that you've oh, been yeah. asked, but we, we are here to talk about yeah. enzymes, yeah. Um, specifically exogenous enzymes. So um, for those of you who have not listened to our mashing yes. episode yet, I encourage you to go back um, and do that where we talk about endogenous enzymes. And actually before uh, or like my first full-time job in the industry was as the executive director of the Craft Malsters Guild. So I like moved into like beer and breweries from the malting side. So I have a, a, that, that understanding of like, you know, barley growing and malting and all of that. But when it comes to exogenous enzymes, my exposure was um, a lot of times craft malsters talking about how hard it could be to sell to distillers because they could just use exogenous enzymes um, to, you know, to like hit the numbers that they want. Um, so it was always kind of like, I don't know if I'm supposed to like exogenous enzymes or not. <laughs> um, but yeah, we would love for you to, you know, to, to tell us, and if, if you want to frame it in the context of your article or however you would like to do, um, when we're talking about exogenous enzymes, what are we talking about? So exogenous enzymes, um, exogenous is, comes from exo, which means outside and no is inside. So uh, it's kind of like looking at it as you ha- have to add something in order to make something happen. It's not going to already be there. Endogenous enzymes are the ones that are already hanging out in what you are basically going to brew with. So we already kind of are familiar with a lot of those. We were familiar with the amylases. We're familiar with the fact that the maltster moves through and modifies the malt to get those enzymes up, ready to go. 
so that when you start uh, mashing in, you're going to get those enzymes working, get that gelatinization, really make it happen, make the entire brewing process start because without enzymes, there is no brewing. And I love kind of, and also going back to the entire thing with distilling, I love talking with distillers because especially when brewers go from brewing to distilling and they're like, I hated enzymes. They were the worst <laughs> thing in the world. I can't use them because it's in violation of style guidelines. And then they go to distilling and they're like, enzymes are the best thing. And it is going to make, it makes every difference. And oh, I, yeah. I love, yeah, I love checking that out. And um, so a lot of inspiration for, but the inspiration for why I wrote about this article was reading kind of about the malt crop and how the pandemic impacted it. How in 2021, it was just a really bad grow year. It was. So we're, fo so we're following a pandemic with a bad grow year and now we're following that with a war. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, malt, so we're looking at malt becoming extremely expensive. Uh, and yeah. if malt's going to be more expensive, you're going to be paying with a bad crop year too. Yeah. You're going to be paying more for not the best that you can have. How are you going to still be able yeah. to make? I would like to, beer? like as a brewer too, I'd like to note that not all of us, like most brewers are not seeing that malt from the bad crop year yet, yet. So we're still mm -hmm. using our good malt. So like it's coming, pay attention. You will. Yeah, you will yes. see it. You will see it for 100%. And sure. And I was like, it's, it's pretty interesting. So like I, every, every time I get an order, I'm like, like every time I brew now, I'm just like stressed out. I'm like, okay, how's this doing? Because we were having really low numbers for a while. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I was just like losing my mind. Come to find out our flow control meter for our water was off. Well, it was like <laughs> breaking. So like every day it was like slowly getting a little fucking off. And now we fixed it and it's perfect, but man, whew. but yeah, pay attention because malt problems are coming. And Emily has the answers right here. <laughs> yes. And and a lot of that starts with, okay, well, have people even educated themselves about how to tell whether or not they have good quality malt? And right. it, how are you going to know if it changes? Yeah. And so it's like, are you taking down notes? Are you reading your COAs? And if you're not reading your COAs, why are you not reading your yes. COAs? Yeah, that was a huge thing know. with the guild of, I, and it's kind of the same thing. And you, you know, you said this of, there are a lot of assumptions of skill made and I'm not at all saying that that brewers like brewers whole cloth don't know uh, but I would bring that up with maltsters a lot where I said are you educating brewers on how to read the COA and like one of them was like oh so you want me to just mansplain a, a COA to everybody and I was like I think you were giving a lot of people too much credit and that they understand how to read it and what do those numbers mean and how do you need to adjust your recipe or your expectations based on a COA and it's the same thing where since you're assuming that they understand it they don't feel comfortable asking I don't know what that means or like I see that this number has changed on between the COAs but I don't know the significance of that um, and so that is really important that people read their COAs but then also like they don't they don't know yeah. what they're looking at sometimes, or they know like, well, it, I think it should be this number or in this range. And if it's not, I don't know what that means, or I don't know how to adjust for that. Exactly. And um, whenever I talk about this, uh, I always refer people, I know that there's probably some kind of resource on the BA website, but I know very recently the Colorado Brewers Guild had someone write an entire thing about reading a COA. and. Nice. Ooh. I was like, Ooh, that's, that's good. Cause you know, there's a resource I can directly point to and say, go here, read about it. But what I really think is important is not only just reading your COA, but understanding what's the maltster's responsibility and what's yours, because it's very much it, when something goes wrong, especially in brewing, it becomes the blame game of, is it blame the maltster? 
I know. <laughs> this, this fermentation's weird. I'm going to blame the yeast supplier. And it's like, well, is there actually anything wrong with the yeast? Or did you burn most of them off by poor brewing practices? Yeah. It becomes something so much more fascinating when it's like, okay, these are, this is what you need to know. You need to know about your beta glucans, your friabilities, your ST ratio, your extract, and your color. And the monster is going to provide you all of that <laughs> yeah. information. That's their responsibility to test the malt and blend it accordingly to get these numbers. So you have them. So then you can go brew. And your job as the brewer, the purchaser, is to assess those specifications and just understand how does that impact your beer. And if you weren't taking numbers, if you weren't grabbing data, then you are missing an opportunity to really know, frankly, your beer yeah. and how to keep it consistent, how to care about it. And you can track um, like beta-glucan and see how that's affecting your mashing. Um, how is your yield? Uh, check those numbers out. Do a comparison because if you aren't reading your COAs and the malt changes and the numbers change and you're still doing the same process, you're going to end up stuck in a bad situation where you're like, I don't know why my lotter's stuck. Yep. Like what's going on? I did everything the way that I do every other time. And that's where it comes in. Like, well, <laughs> you had a lot of protein. Did you not read your COA? Did you not look at some of these numbers? Cause they're all right there. Right. So it's kind of one of those, well, it's kind of one of those situations where um, it's kind of think of it as watching an episode of like law and order. You're given all the information at the beginning. You just, yeah. <laughs> you just decided yeah, not to use yet. any, yeah. but it's or like, you, imagine yeah. how, imagine how effective uh, Benson would be if they were given all the information up front instead yeah. of having to play solve it later. Right. I, I do know from a brewer standpoint is definitely a lack of education. So many of us start as, uh, you know, busy worker bees, like running the candy line, do keg cleaning, all the busy work. And I know this is true for myself. I didn't learn what was actually happening until years later, I was just like, okay, do, this is the process. This is the process. This is the process. Oh, stuck lauder. Maybe we add more rice hulls. Like the answer, the solutions that we go to are not uh, chemical because we're mm -hmm. not taught that. Like, right. like as, as, as shift workers, as shift brewers, it comes with, okay, now I'm going to learn about malt. Now I'm going to learn like the next step. And that's when you start putting things together. But, oh man, even for me as a, shift brewer it wasn't until i just quit my shift brewing job decided to open my own brewery and during that i say downtime because it's the time where you're planting with no building studied for advanced cicerone it was like oh my god i don't know anything about beer <laughs> like, <laughs> i was like i know nothing i was like i didn't even know how much i didn't know and i still feel like that like i still mm -hmm. feel like that you know and Reading a COA definitely didn't start for me until I opened up this brewery. It is def it's definitely is a lack of education, but it's so important. And like we use beta glucan um, enzyme in our mash always because we do this brew in a bag system. It's like three and a half barrels, mm -hmm. and it gets so compact in there when we're like it's like a every all the bolts in there are like normal, but it's like this big uh, bucket with a holes at the bottom that the grain lifts up so we have to in order to get like the maximum amount of fermentables out or we have less uh efficiency is it from colorado brewery works it is uh -huh. colorado uh <laughs> brewing systems they are not open anymore but you probably know that no they yeah. are not they are not <laughs> um, and, and it's 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 funny because uh i so weird uh Thing. So I'm originally from Cape Cod and I went back to Massachusetts and somebody opened a brewery in my hometown. Um, and they are, were, they both met each other at the Marine Biological Laboratories and the Woods Oceanographic Institute. Not a surprise that I became a scientist, especially after being exposed to that amount of science, <laughs> but they chose to uh, no longer 
be in that and become brewers and they have one of those systems and it's so cool because they have to kind of gradually crank it up yes yes because the water exactly you've seen it so as a brewer too because i've i worked at really big breweries or they have like four vessel systems 60 barrel brews like i never hoed brewed we like we mm-hmm. just started home brewing like after I quit Noda and got like a system here that's now our our pilot system at our brewery. But anyways, I was like, I don't know about this. I don't know about this system. Like, there's no sparge. It's you know I'm lifting up. How do I you know? And so we went out there like brewed with them, and I was like, okay, okay. So it's pretty easy enough. It takes less footprint, which is great. But I really like it. I've I've gotten it down pretty well now, uh, but. It does make for a lot more maltose uh, production because I am like, well, I think because of the way it is uh, just situated and we have to, we have to do a mash out on it where my traditional three vessel system is very traditional, you know, it doesn't require Mm -hmm. that. So different brewing systems I have found require different enzymes as well. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, that is so accurate. I actually was uh, doing a collaboration brew and uh, my friend, she came up to me and she's like, when do you use amyloglucosidase? Like, when do you recommend it? I'm like, and I'm like, wait, why are you asking me this? And she's like, because you wrote about it. Um, But it's, and it ended up being a conversation amongst a bunch of us about like, yeah, when do you add enzymes? What makes the most sense for you? Yeah, Because it's so unique to each person and their system and what they brew and frankly, the way they brew. It's crazy when you think about like, okay, a system is just a system. The differences really come down to the person and the ways that they see opportunities to improve extract, improve um, efficiency um, and sustainability. It's really, I, I love kind of, when the brewing, uh, when the cog happens where one brewer leaves and then suddenly we have eight different brewers suddenly move to different spaces. I love yeah. kind of following up with them after like, okay, what changed? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. How right. are you working on this? Yeah. My husband and I are always constantly back and forth. Like he'll like probably Bailey argue the best way to do it, but he's <laughs> like, you know, he's, I'm like, how fast are you going on the slaughter? Like I'm trying to like figure out the best thing to be doing you know, how, and I say water, but I really mean pulling up this basket, (laughs) (laughs) but if literally, could you like, give us a few examples of enzymes that we would, a brewer would be using in the mash or wherever? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my personal favorite, because they do a lot of things and sometimes it's Great, sometimes not so great, depending on um, whether I have a soapbox near me, um, <laughs> is proteases. I think that they are incredibly an incredible asset because they break down proteins and that improves your filtration later on. But also proteins, I mean, you have the alpha helixes, the beta pleated sheets, they're three dimensional compounds that are absolutely incredible. I mean, enzymes are protein, are our proteins and people keep forgetting that. Uh, and so they're great for so many things. They clear up, you can use, um, you use those to clear up haze and you can use those to frankly create gluten reduced beers, which yes, is great. Except for the fact that, you know, gluten reduced is not the same as gluten free. Please don't yeah. confuse the two. 100%. <laughs> we, we actually do that at Arbury. All of our beers are, are gluten reduced. Um, it's just something we do for the community. No, it's not a marketing thing. Um, I've actually found that I've worked at one brewery before who did like a gluten reduced version of a beer they already had. And when people were given the option, they were like, most people were like, no, I just want the regular one. And because people don't (laughs) understand or doesn't, it because it doesn't matter. It doesn't change the flavor of the beer, but we actually have a lot of, there's another brewery in Charlotte that does that at well, all gluten reduced not gluten-free. We do have a brewery that is gluten-free though. Uh, 100%. They have Mm -hmm. the system set up for it and everything, but we, it works out for really well for us for a marketing tool. Like people are like, Oh, that's great. I could drink beer at your place. 
because some people yeah. can handle a little gluten and not just yeah 100 free yeah and that's and also frankly some people don't completely understand um gluten intolerance and what that is yes uh unfortunately there's a lot of misinformation coming from how i used to i spent 10 years in medicine i have seen misinformation it is insane um especially <laughs> about gluten so it's one of the benefits is like hey proteases they have a lot of benefits and you can break down gluten oh it's so much better like why wouldn't you use this but you know there's certain styles where you can't use enzymes and if you do then it's no longer that style and people will be mad at you and <laughs> it's okay it's okay you're not going to keep any everyone happy as untapped is proof of Right. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> a company that needs to be stopped. Yes. Um, when you say there are certain styles that you can't use them, do you mean like German beer because they're in Hexabot mm-hmm. or, okay. Is there anything that would like prevent the style from being the style characteristic, like, like wheat beer and it takes away all the haze or something like that? Yeah. I mean, like, that's definitely something to consider. And personally, I love Hexabizons. I love a good Hefeweizen. I love how it's hazy. I love banana esters. Circus Boy from Magic Hat was uh, my gateway beer and into the, into really loving craft. Uh, And looking back now, all they do is Magic Hat number nine, which I think (laughs) is sad. And they also changed up the label because part of the reason why I chose Circus Boy was because it had a little creepy guy in a cage. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So it was just like, okay, I'm into this weirdness. Let's Let's do this. Uh, but getting back to the enzymes, um, also with proteases, you go to peptidases and they break down the amino acid chains that form proteins. And that allows you to release nutrients for that for yeast health, like free amino nitrogens. And it also gives you the opportunity to have other molecules out there that can become sugars. Uh, carbohydrates are the basis for problem for so many things on this planet. And if you remove a couple of molecules, you're like, Hey, look, it's sugar again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, what up, bro? Right. I haven't seen you in a minute. What's going on? What's going on? Uh, and that's where you get into kind of those cellulose digesting enzymes because you need to digest that cellulose. And I love checking out kind of all the different enzymes to do with that because we have alpha amylase and we have beta amylase. And we know that amylase is already in malt, but very few people understand how those work. And beta and beta kind of just goes towards the end of the gigantic cellulose molecules, whereas alpha amylase is taking those bigger chunks. And trying to explain this to a friend, um, amyloglucosidase is very dainty. It takes small bites at the very end of the chain. Very, very small bites. <laughs> very, very precise. And then you have beta amylase. And, <laughs> and then beta amylase is kind of like, you know what? I can handle this. I'm gonna take a bigger bite. So let's do this. Let's do this. And then you get alpha amylase and alpha amylase is like, screw all of you. I am going to win this hot dog eating contest right now. <laughs> and that's kind of that's kind of how I remember the way that they kind of break things down. And so you really kind of need to use all of them in conjunction. Just adding one isn't going to necessarily do everything you want, but it will provide some improvement. It'll make things more accessible to enzymes that might already be there. That's an and, awesome way uh, to describe it. It's yes. way better than the yard work analogy that John Palmer, Palmer oh, has. God. Yeah, yeah, that makes so much more sense. It's it's tough though because it's like I don't want to talk down to people, but at the same time, it's like I need to make this relatable. Yeah. Um, because when I talk, when people sit there and they're like, "Well, I'm going to add amyloglucosidase," and it's like, "Okay, cool," but do you understand that adding too much of that enzyme can cause glucose suppression and of course, that's like, well, what does glucose suppression mean? And that basically means that the yeast is going to go after the glucose before it goes after any of the other sugars because it loves glucose more. Yeah. And so that's going to cause a struggle because then the 
other sugars that are there are not going to be taken and converted into alcohol. And the best way that I found to explain just that one was, uh, and I came across this actually from Alan Windhausen, uh, talked about this actually at a, at CBC a few years ago, yes, is that I love if, this presentation. <laughs> I love it too. Um, hmm. definitely found that to be an incredible asset. Um, cause he definitely, he's one of my favorite people and he works at Holla Daily, which is a gluten-free brewery. So, nice. uh, it's, so it always kind of loops back around. Uh, but he explained it as if you give your kid French fries, then why are they going to eat their Brussels sprouts? And that's what amyloglucosidase is basically doing is like, Hey, yeast, you want to go have some fun. You want to go have some fun. And it's basically like, yeah, let's go party. And then, okay. So now I need you to sit down and, um, actually do some work. Yeah. You had fun, right? You had fun. Great. <laughs> Like, ah, uh, it doesn't really work that way, but yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember that exact, um, that exact analogy because yeah, I was like, okay, this makes sense now. Yes. Yeah. When I like make a cheese plate before dinner, I don't want dinner after that. Like, I'm just like, no, I'll just, I'm like, I'm not hungry, but I'll just keep eating the cheese and I'm not going to eat like the, the same thing, like the vegetables I'm, I'm done. The cheese plate is dinner. Yeah, that's true. Let's yeah, all that's, be honest. That's what I was going to say, but I know that wasn't good for the analogy. <laughs> it's, um, and yeah, I just find it interesting that you can add these enzymes going back to that in at so many different points in brewing, because it, there's a part for mashing, but then there's a part for also like in your fermentation. Yep. Yeah. Which is where our clarity firm goes, our are uh, <laughs> gluten reduced. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. You got ever you got to know where to put these enzymes. You yeah, can't just put like... them in the wrong spots. And we've also used the enzyme for uh, what is it called? We've lowered the uh, carb level, like the sugar level, very very low to make low carb beers. Yes, we've yes, done that you before. Can definitely do that. Uh, people kind of don't realize that you can use that. You use them to really get those low carb beers and those are, that's a big seller too. It's like, people are trying to be more healthy as you've noticed yeah. with the entire yeah. desire for gluten reduced beers. But then we're also seeing that with, I want something that's lower carb or lower alcohol. Yeah. Um, so you're looking, you have people looking for more sessionable ales because I, I have a question. Have you gotten any feedback for brewers about that enzyme surviving the mash tun or the fermenter, like at the cleaning process, for example, because uh, that is like, I, that um, is one recommendation I had when using this, like you need to, after you use it, clean your brew house really, really well. It might, cause you could do some of the mash, you could do some of the fermenter. And uh, we did a little both and I did not mess around. I just cleaned and acided everything really well afterwards. Cause I didn't want to find out if anyone was right, but I just wanted to know if you've experience that it's a feedback yourself uh no i i really haven't experienced uh much about talking about that kind of cleaning aspect um i just always try and recommend that everybody clean better uh, well, because well, I well like for example you could brew a beer in your mash tun and go and brew another beer. It's not going to be a big deal, mm -hmm. but the use of the enzyme was be, was made clear of like, well, this enzyme might survive this mash and stay in your next mash, uh, for a different beer that you might not intend to be low. -carb. Yeah, no, that I haven't had anyone come to me about it, but it doesn't surprise me because yeah. enzymes are very hardy, uh, because when you really so there's regular proteins that, I mean, they're easy to break down. Um, enzymes, they are designed to be more hardy, to have, to deal with things a little bit more difficult because they're, they're meant to break something down. They have a purpose. Everything yeah. has a purpose, but their oh, purpose yeah. is to really work. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. they, and they don't break down easily. They, yeah. they just don't. And you have to really heat them up, but that doesn't necessarily happen. Um, 
it doesn't necessarily denature them depending yeah. on if you're not hitting the right temperatures. And if you're using an enzyme in the mash, yeah, you would, I would definitely be concerned about that. Uh, it's the fact of the matter is, is that if they're in there, they're going, they're going to have, uh, they're going to definitely go out there and have some fun. I mean, yeah. I think of <laughs> enzymes as like, the, they're like the party boys yeah. <laughs> that are like having four loco. Um, <laughs> They're just really out there to party. They're out there to have fun. And that's their job is to go out there and be like, I'm going to eat this. I'm going to drink this. I'm going to have a good time. <laughs> and oh, oh, we're, we're still going. All right. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, route two. Next five. All right. <laughs> yeah. There, win, it's baby. just like, it's just, it's. I mean, just talking about it from just an, even a medical perspective, it was, it's like, okay, well, these things matter. And you really have to work hard to kind of really kick them and get rid of them. And I feel like people don't really fully appreciate that or understand it because they just believe that if I clean the way that I've always cleaned, that it's always going to be effective. And it's not. Yeah. And you see that, and I've actually seen bacteria survive a lot of random things. So if a bacteria can survive, imagine how an yeah. enzyme can survive. That's disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the, um, a brewery I previously worked at when we did our low carb beer, they specifically said they used it in the mash ton. And I, I knew that you could use it in both. And so I asked why the mash tun only, why not the mash and the fermenter? Why not just the fermenter? And they said that the enzyme, because it can hang out in the fermenter, you can have it inadvertently. You know, you're going to get this over attenuated beer, something that you weren't intending to happen to your next beer. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they were like, you have to like, it takes a little more tinkering to figure out how to do it in only the mash but then you're sure mm -hmm. that it's not going into your fermenter because of course, then it's going into the boil. So everything's denatured mm -hmm. in yeah. there anyway. We did both. Yeah. And we just did a, a caustic and an acid, just like hardcore. It, it was fine. And honestly, like if it did affect the next beer, I don't think I really would have known unless it got below like 10 Oh six mm -hmm. because our beer mm -hmm. will get super low. Like if it was like 10 Oh one, I'd be like, Oh, okay. Shit's here. <laughs> Let's right. set it off and see what right. the count is. <laughs> yeah, somebody rallied. Um, okay, well, Emily, I know we're coming up on the um, our end of our time with you. So if you don't mind going back to Rachel's question, we can't from the very yes. beginning, maybe we can end with that um, to the extent you can share without identifying any um, identifying information. Uh, with your, your lab, um, or you know what, I, I would even say extending it to having enzymes conversations. Uh, what, what is the most interesting slash surprising slash alarming question <laughs> that you've been asked? <laughs> yeah. uh, gosh, I mean, it's really hard to pick one because it's, <laughs> I, I, I say that so my first article that I wrote about was a uh, dissolved oxygen. And that was inspired because a brewer, we were talking about SOPs and he said, well, isn't it purged enough if I smell it after 20 minutes? And it was like, okay. Wait, so, what? <laughs> yeah. And what is smelly? <laughs> Um, like, it's like okay. <laughs> it was just like, okay, if you can smell <laughs> the gas that you're purging with, you probably shouldn't be talking to me anymore. It was very like, <laughs> wait, wait, what? What are you, <laughs> what are you smelling? Exactly. Where it, are you it, smelling it, this? <laughs> it's really fascinating to me when somebody asks that and it turns out it was like, there was definitely an SOP issue that needed to be addressed, but he, it, it's impressive when you get, that when people hire and then they don't necessarily do all the training, like 
Do you have these SOPs written down? If you don't, you should. Um, and then we've had some interesting ones with infection and we ended up tracing it all the way from the fermenter. And we found a lot of other problems along the way. And it turns out someone had back flushed their water filter and pediococcus was in there. And they had no idea that it had gone back that far. And wow. they were like, well, how are we still What's experiencing this? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, um, it was a very challenging time trying to figure out what was going on. And along that way, cause it's like, we checked for it in the heat exchanger and yeah. we've seen moth strings get pulled out of heat exchangers, um, which is like, oh. how, <laughs> how, uh, but then when you go past it's like, okay, that came up positive. And it's like, okay, well, you're hoping there won't be anything in the boil. And then we went all the way back to their HLT and ended up finding bacteria in there. And it's like, how is this bacteria in here at all? And it's, it's because it was basically filling and it wasn't up to temp. And so it was pulling the bacteria up with it and then creating kind of a rim Oh my God. <laughs> and if they weren't waiting for it to get up to temp before trying to brew with it, then they were taking that bacteria and bringing it along. And everything affected. At 100% yes, of your so, breweries affected. <laughs> and especially if it's Nightmare. like, okay, it's, it was really just like, wow, okay, really go through that. And uh, they had, and when they clean their heat exchanger, it's like, at first it was good. And I know that heat cleaning heat exchangers, annoying. No, sir. Hate it. But <laughs> oh, well, take it, take it apart maybe, but yeah. It, but the thing is, is that, you know, sometimes cool. you need to do that. It's kind of, you know, doing your laundry is not the most exciting thing, but you appreciate having clean clothes. Right. Uh, <laughs> and it's the same thing with your heat exchanger. It's like, you don't want to really do it but you're going to have to do it. And in this case, the, it's like clean, clean. And then you just started seeing black gunk as you went Ooh. up it. And it was just up. It was like, okay, so that's bad. And what was worse was it's like, okay, they were using the same transfer hose from the brew house to the fermenters. And that had been run over by a forklift at some point and no one had noticed. <laughs> So it's probably broken inside. So, <laughs> I mean, like, eat up whatever. And, well, oh. that's, it, it was just like, so, so I, many, I'm having nightmares over here. <laughs> it was so many little things in one place that just oh. was like, it, it was just very difficult, but it was also like, okay, how does this happen? And how do you miss it? And right. it's, and to a certain extent, I think, you know, when we get something like a brewery, which is a manufacturing facility, and we think it's running right, we might not check on it until there's an issue. It's yeah. kind of like your computer. You, you don't bother worrying about anybody hacking it until it gets hacked. Yeah. You don't care about your Instagram until it gets hacked. Uh, right. And it's a symptom of something bigger, which is, okay, you didn't do a good job of taking care of your security. And when you have issues in your brewery, it's often a symptom that somebody is missing some part of the process. And how can you solve that? How can you address it? So for us, it's fascinating when breweries come to us and they're like, we just need another person to look at this and say, we need to fix it because somebody's not taking it seriously and we just need someone. It's kind of like uh, having, like being on the playground and you're, you're dealing with a bully and it's like, if there's more than one person that stands up to the bully, then you're going to get something resolved. Right. But if it's just one person saying, hey man, it's kind of not cool when you push me in the dirt, well, what's he going to do? He's just going to be like, well, just don't be in the dirt. Then. Right. <laughs> <laughs> don't fall over. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh, that's all right. A, well, uh, nightmare, nightmare situation for a brewer and, yeah. and owner of a brewer. Yes. Brewery. <laughs> On that note, Emily, thank you so much for joining yes, us. Yes, thank you. And this was people, really great conversation. Yeah, it was super good. Um, I didn't expect anything less from um, after reading your writing, but if people want to find you, if they want to find Firmly, where can they go? Uh, so they can check us out on both Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Instagram is Firmly No and uh, <laughs> <laughs> Firmly No, because you should firmly K-N-O-W know K-N-O-W or N-O? K-N-O. Firmly No. Firmly No. And then we're on Facebook as Firmly and then I have my own Instagram called uh, Fermentable Sugar. And I talk a lot about beer and several other things that are impacting the industry. And uh, I will say that I feel like I peaked as a writer in writing that article because I wrote one line which caused me to re- rewrite. So many of the headings was Fermentable Sugar Seeking Yeast Must Have Owned Fermenter. <laughs> and, oh my God, and I was, that's nice. I was like, okay, I, I'm like, I wrote that and I'm like, okay, I have to like change everything because <laughs> this is so amazing. Uh, but then also I sat there and I'm like, God, I really, it's bad because it's like my Instagram handles fermentable sugar and I, I'm not seeking anyone. So please, <laughs> it, you can send me pictures of yeast. Please don't send me pictures of anything else. Right. <laughs> I, I love, I love your fermentable <laughs> I love your virtual <laughs> sugar Instagram that says fan of social lubricants, beer, wine, whiskey, margarita, emoji. <laughs> like, yeah. yes. Like, I need yeah. to add that's mine. It's, well, actually, I don't have Instagram. Like, my pie library does. And I, I've lot, been reading this really interesting. I've been reading this really interesting book called Alcohol and Humans and how we evolve with ethanol and fermentation. And it's absolutely oh, yeah. amazing. But they keep calling it ethanol as a social lubricant, which I love because I think that's the best way to describe yes. drinking is um, anything. It builds community. It creates, um, you, you lose some of the inhibitions. So you're able to connect better with people. And that's part of what I love about this industry. And I love that with brewing and the creation of beer, you get to taste really what somebody loves and cares about and desires. And it's a very personal way of connecting with the world Right. and to have people love it and enjoy it and bond over it. I mean, it's, yeah, it's magic. This has been false bottom girls and we make the brewing world go round.